Well, as I've already mentioned, I spent the last week uh, teaching other men how to preach. And not just to preach, but to preach expositionally. And uh, really the only way I think God intended us to preach, if we truly say we believe what we say we do about the Bible, that it's completely uh, holy and errant, and that it's totally sufficient and it's extremely potent, why would we preach anything else but the Bible? And so uh, we covered every aspect of the science and art of expository preaching, and, and it was really a, a great challenge for me and a great privilege for me to be able to, to, to be forced to think through what I do on a weekly basis uh, in, a, in very practical terms. And, and as you know, when you teach something to others, it really reinforces those things in your own heart, in your own life. And so it was really a good chance for me to evaluate my preaching. And am I really being faithful uh, to teach God's word uh, the way he intends? And, and uh, I came across this, what I think is a very encouraging and challenging definition of expository preaching. I was reading a bunch of different books uh, on the airplane, just kind of refreshing my memory and stirring myself up to, to teach on this. And this was the definition of expository preaching. It's when the man of God explains and applies the word of God in the power of the spirit of God so that the people of God can obey the will of God. Isn't that good? When the man of God explains and applies the word of God in the power of the spirit of God so that the people of God can obey the will of God. And that really summarizes what this pulpit is all about and this the sermon time in church is all about, uh, is that ultimately we could understand what the Bible says and how it applies to our lives so that we can live it out and obey God's will, which is his word. And uh, the, the main emphasis of this whole week was on the pastor's responsibility to rightly preach and teach God's word. And as I, as I was reflecting on all the material that, that I was teaching and the other guys were teaching and that we were preaching about, I was reminded that all of the efforts of the preacher to produce and proclaim an expository sermon are useless if no one hears it and no one applies it. I mean, what's the point of a well-crafted sermon if it doesn't meet a well-cultivated heart? And so we have to understand that there's, there's, there's a process here. It's, it's what one guy talked about, the expository exchange that goes on in the preaching process because preaching is not just a, a one-way street. There's, the responsibility doesn't just lie on my shoulders. The listeners, you, in the pew, play a significant role in the communication process. And, and it struck me that that any teaching or any instruction on expository preaching is not complete until you address the responsibility of the listeners, the listeners in the expository process. And this kind of hit me somewhere in Amsterdam and then over Greenland. And so I started writing down some things because uh, I, I realized that we had fallen short and we left one seminar out of that week. And it really... To be honest, though, it's better preached here than there because we were preaching to a bunch of preachers uh, and this message needs to be preached to the people in the pew, to the listeners. And so to me, it, it's, it's a perfect conclusion, if you will, to a week's worth of ministry uh, focusing in on expository preaching. And see, 
I think the average preacher spends thousands of hours uh, learning about how to communicate God's word. And they go to seminars and they'll go to conferences and they read books in order to communicate effectively. And yet for the average church member, they have received very little, if any, instruction about how to be an effective listener. There's no, I mean, there's no seminars or conferences. When the last time you had a conference about how to listen well, how to be a good listener, right? And so that's what I want to talk about with you this morning. Uh, I want to instruct you to rightly hear the word. I just spent the week teaching men to rightly divide the word, and I want to teach you how to rightly hear the word. Did you know that the Bible says as much, if not more, about your responsibility to listen than the preacher's responsibility to study and deliver the message? Um, I think that's a profound thought. John Stott said this. He's a great uh, British expositor. He said, it is plain throughout Scripture that the health of God's people depends on their attentiveness to His Word. Your very spiritual livelihood, your spiritual health depends on how attentive you are to the Word of God. So God is very concerned about how preachers preach. We all know that. But He's equally concerned about how listeners listen. Now I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the premier passage, I think, in the whole Bible about preaching. 2 Timothy chapter 4. These guys in India probably got sick and tired of this verse because every, it seemed that every sermon and every seminar, this verse came up. Because this is really the, the pinnacle of preaching. And yet I think there's something that is inherent in, the, in these verses about preaching that has everything to do with listening to preaching. And I think because we emphasize, the emphasis is clearly on preaching, we miss out on the, the implication here of listening. Notice, this is Paul exhorting Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom. Whoa, whoa, whatever Paul's about to say here is huge. Because he's charging Timothy in God's presence. And in the presence of Christ, who is going to judge him someday, whether or not he does what he's about to exhort him to do, or how well he does it. He says, I solemnly charge you, verse 2, what? Preach the word. Don't preach your opinion. Don't preach your own ideas. Don't preach about what's happening in the newspaper necessarily, or in your country. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And so Paul tells Timothy to preach urgently. To be ready in season and out of season. In other words, there's never a downtime. You always got to be ready to preach the word. And he says you need to preach relevantly. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. In other words, it's not, it's not the same thing every time. You need to know the need of the moment and what your people need at the time. Do they need to be reproved? Do they need to be rebuked? Do they need to be exhorted? Do they need to be encouraged? And so you do it relevantly. You're relevant to the, to the need. And then also you need to preach patiently with great patience, realizing that, that 
that we are all slow in the sanctification process, right? And we got to be patient with people and not expect, you know, beat them over the head with the Bible and expect them to change. We have to be patient. Let them grow. And finally, teach doctrinally. He says, with great patience and instruction. You need, to, you need to preach doctrine. You need to teach something. Don't just get up there and try to inspire people and motivate them with your, you know, and make them laugh and make them cry and, and make them feel good and make them feel bad. It's not about that. It's about instructing them, teaching them the word of God. And then he says the reason why he, he is so passionate to tell Timothy to preach the word urgently and relevantly and patiently and doctrinally is verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, there's going to come a time when people would, could care less about learning God's word. He says, but wanting to have their, what? Ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, they're going to find people who will tell them what they want to hear. Does that sound familiar? People going to churches just because they like what the pastor says because it's what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And he says they'll turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. So this is kind of like the theology of the ears. You could, you could build a whole theology about ears in the Bible. Uh, a lot of verses we're going to see in just a second. But, but so here we see, you know, let's not miss this, that while this passage has everything to do with preaching the word, kind of in a, in a backdoor fashion, Paul is also teaching the importance of listening to the word. And not turning away your ears from the word. Not wanting your ears to be tickled. And so in the same way, you could say this, I solemnly charge you. And I don't think I'm taking this out of context. You could say this, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, to listen to the word. Listen to the word. Don't turn your ears away from the truth. Don't let your ears be satisfied to be tickled. Oh, that feels good. I like that. <laughs> but that you want to hear the truth that will save your soul. And so the solemn charge here doesn't just apply to me as a preacher. It also applies to you as a listener. That we're going to all stand before God someday and give an account of how, well, how, how faithfully I preached and how faithfully you listened. I just didn't want to be the only one out on the, the limb here on this verse. We're all in this deal. Look at Hebrews for a second. Just a couple of pages over to the right. Hebrews chapter 4. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Concerning him, okay, the writer is talking about Jesus Christ. Concerning Jesus Christ, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you become, what? Dull of hearing. In other words, you've got a listening problem. i got so much I want to teach you guys, he's saying, about Christ, but you know what? I, I can't. Because you're not good listeners. You're not teachable. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles, the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. In other words, you're a baby Christian sucking on a bottle when you should be eating, you know, sirloin and T-bones and, you know, ribeyes. But you can't because you don't know how to listen. 
You got a problem with your ears. The Gospels record that at least 15 times Jesus exhorted those who were listening to Him teach. He said, He who has ears, what? Let him hear. Hey, if you got ears, listen up. That pretty much applies to everybody I've ever met. We all got, God created us with ears for a reason. And He even gave, two, he gave us two of them. Maybe, maybe to emphasize the fact that we need to listen twice as much as we talk, right? So when he said he was ears, let him hear, he was saying, listen up, pay attention. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. In Luke 8, 18, Jesus said, take care how you listen. Take care how you listen. And if you know the context of that, he said that after he told what story? The parable of the soils. And we know that in Luke chapter 8, it talks about the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road. It was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up, and the other seed fell on the rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and the other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out, and the other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said these things, he would call, and as he said these things, he would cry out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is all about hearing the word of God, this parable. You say, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 11. This is Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And those who are on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe in for a while and in time of temptation fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the, the ones who have heard as they go on their way. They are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word and in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And then verse 18, therefore take care how you listen. What's the parable of the soils about? Hearing the word of God and how well of a, how, how good a listener you are. And as we know, it's, it's, it's likened to soil here, right? I mean, you think about this. I mean, every one, every one of you sitting here right now, this morning, is going to hear the same sermon, sermon from the same person at the same time, but not everyone will have the same response. And it all depends on the condition of your heart. Whether you have a road heart or a rocky heart or a thorny heart or a good heart. And in order for the seed of God's word to plant itself in our hearts and grow to produce fruit, the soil of our hearts must be properly prepared. I love Hosea uh, chapter 10. Uh, Kind of an obscure verse. Tucked away in the, the middle of Hosea. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. He says, Sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness. Now listen to this. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until He comes to rain righteousness on you. So he's talking to the nation of Israel, and of course they were an agricultural community. And so they would understand what he meant by breaking up the fallow ground. He's talking about plowing a field. 
And, and, and fallow ground was ground that, that had been plowed. I guess you could even say it's more specifically harrowing a field um, because ground that was plowed but, but hadn't been seeded, there was nothing growing in it. It becomes hard. It becomes useless. And before anything can be planted, the clods must be broken up and softened to make it ready to receive the seed. And Israel had hardened their heart and their ears and their mind against God's word. And so he sent Hosea to tell them to, to harrow up their hearts so that they could receive his word. I remember growing up every spring, uh, we had this huge garden. And it was so big that my dad would get the farmer next door to come in with his plow and his harrow. I mean, this is a big garden. You can fit a whole tractor in there like maybe 10 times back and forth. That's why I hate gardens. Because I had to be out there every summer, all summer, weeding it and picking all this stuff. But anyway, he would bring that plow in there and he'd go through it with the plow back and forth. And as you know, if you've seen that, there's just big uh, ravines and there's all these big clods of dirt. And you can't just go out there after it got plowed and start throwing seed. What do you have to do? you got to bring in the harrow. And the harrow has those discs on it, right? And it kind of discs up all that soil and kind of flattens it all, breaks it all up and kind of flattens it all out and prepares it for planting. So he's talking about harrowing up our hearts to hear the Word of God. That's a cool image, isn't it? Jay Adams has written a book called A Consumer's Guide to Preaching. Um, It's a great book. The cover has a picture of somebody sitting in a pew with these big, exaggerated-looking ears. It's a really cool book. But it's like one of the only books I know that, that is written to the hearers. And this is what he said. He said, preaching is one of God's chief means of sowing seed and helping fruit grow. It is a way of watering and fertilizing the crop. But you must break up the hard clods that have formed in your soul over the week, turn under the weeds, and prepare the good soil to receive God's seed. I think that's well put. And so all that to say this morning, I want to give you some practical ways to harrow your heart, to receive the word of God. And my hope is that these things will make you a better, more effective listener. I mean, I am always striving to become a better, more effective preacher. I mean, that's kind of a, a passion of mine. It's, it's a maddening passion. It's a maddening pursuit because there's, it, it never seems like there's a Sunday that goes by that I don't leave here with a sense of frustration because I wish I could just go back here and, and do it one more time. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Come on back. Let me try it one more time. Let me see if I can do that better. And let me say it with more passion and with more clarity and, and, and illustrate it better and, and, and just, just say it in a way that, that, that communicates better. And applied more practically. And by no means have I even come close to perfecting my side of the communication process. I got a long way to go. But it's something I think about every week. But I do realize this that even my best expositions will fail to change your lives if they fall on deaf ears, if they're not well received. Again, a well-crafted sermon must meet with a well-cultivated heart for the expository process to be complete. The goal of preaching is to help people understand what God's Word means and how it applies so that their lives will change. And I'm not content unless you're changing. Because if you're not changing, then we're wasting our time, right? Right? That's the whole point. I was reading parts of this book. It's a great new book on preaching called Preaching That Changes Lives. And it's just a 
great book. And, and, and one of the things that this author challenges preachers with, he says one of the best things you can do for your church is periodically preach on preaching and help them understand what's going on here. So that they de- develop a, an appreciation and understanding of expository preaching. I, that was one of the semin- seminars I got to teach. How to develop an appreciation and understanding for expository preaching. I was so thankful that I could sit there and teach these guys, thinking about you guys back here, saying, I think our church has grown in that area. I think there's a group of people that can truly appreciate expository preaching, and they understand that the preaching process and, and the dynamic there. And so I'm so thankful for a context where I can do this. And he says you need to address the fundamental need to become better hearers so the sermon will have the greatest opportunity to change their lives. And so they need to understand that he says that the people have a responsibility before, during, and after the word is preached. And so here we go. That was all for free. That was introduction. That was from like Amsterdam to Green, over Greenland. And this, the rest is this. Let me give you three responsibilities of being a good listener of God's word, okay? Three essentials to being a good listener. And again, there, there's a responsibility before you come to hear the word. There's a responsibility while you're hearing the word, like right now. And then there's a responsibility after you hear the word. In fact, I was thinking I should title this. Gordon asked me what we should title this sermon, and, and please don't take offense, but I, I called it Preaching for Dummies. <laughs> don't, don't take offense in that. I'm not talking about you. But, you know, you've seen those books, Computers for Dummies and whatever for Dummies, and it's just some basic steps. This is how you do it, right? Um, and the subtitle is How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. Okay, Preaching for Dummies, How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. Okay, so here we go. Number one, the, the first responsibility is preparation. Okay, preparation. And this is the listener's responsibility before the word is preached. And what I'm going to do is under each of these, I'm going to kind of give you some basic points, okay? But before I even get into that, I got to say this, because it's kind of a prerequisite. This This is the number one prerequisite to being a good listener, okay, in preparation. You want to be a good listener of God's word? Make sure you're saved. Okay, I mean, we've got to start there and just kind of lay a foundation. Make sure you're truly born again. I mean, we see that in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Uh, Paul was thanking the Thessalonians for uh, the way that they appreciated the Word of God and, and accepted it and received it, not just as his words, but as the Word of God. He says, for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The reason why they responded so well to Paul's ministry of the word is because they, they were committed to Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man cannot understand the things of God. I mean, you can sit there all day trying to figure it out, and you can't. It says the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. In other words, if you have no appetite for preaching... That's a good indication that you're not saved. Or you're sitting here going, man, this guy's just, I can't even understand what he's saying. This makes no sense to me. What does that mean? We need to examine your life. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to see if you're even in the faith. I mean, because it's really like a deaf person walking into a symphony. Really. I mean, if you're not saved, you're, you're a deaf person and you can't hear. 
Or you're like a blind person going into an art gallery. You know, you, you, there's all this stuff and you can't appreciate it. And I think this is where any discussion of being a responsive listener to God's word has to begin. It's impossible to properly respond to God's word if you're not a Christian. And so I ask you, if you, if you think preaching is boring, if you think preaching is irrelevant, if you think it's redundant, if you think it's a waste of your time, maybe it's because you're not saved. And I think one of the, one of the marks one of the premier marks of a true Christian is they have a love for the Scriptures. Amen? And they, they want to know the Scriptures. Give it to me. I need it. It's my very life. But someone who's not a Christian, they don't, they don't care. It's, what's the big deal? Why do you bring your Bibles? I, mean, I, don't, I don't need a Bible. I just sit here and listen. Right? Because they don't feel the need for the Word of God. They don't have a hunger and a thirst and a craving for the Word of God. So I think the first thing, just kind of overarching principle here under the preparation before you hear the word preached is make sure you're saved. And maybe that's why God brought you here this morning is because you need to get saved. You need to acknowledge your sin and say, Lord, I'm away from you. I've, I've turned my back on you. I'm living my life for myself. And, and Lord, I repent. I repent. I turn away from living my life for myself. And I, play, I trust Jesus Christ and his death on the cross in my place that he paid the penalty for my sin and he arose again from the dead, I'm going to commit my life to follow and obey him as my Lord and Savior. And guess what? That's when you'll instantly get a hunger and a thirst and a desire for the things of God and the word of God. Well, what are some ways that you can prepare your heart to be a good listener? Number one, read the Bible every day. Read the Bible every day. You know, we're big on the quiet time deal uh, here at Lakeside, and there's a reason for that. Because what you're doing, when you open up God's Word on a daily basis, you're developing an appetite for God's Word. And it's kind of like you're whetting your appetite for, for Sunday, right? When you get together in the corporate body, when you get to hear the Word together. You can't expect to come on Sunday with a hunger for God's word if you're not feeding on it throughout the week. So you need to learn how to feed yourself. And some people have done it. You know, I'm not getting anything out of your sermons. You know, I don't, well, quick question. Do you read the Bible during the week? Now, don't, don't put it all on me. The fact you're not getting anything out of my sermons is not all me. It could be me. Maybe I need to learn to preach better, more practically. But it also could be that you haven't been reading your word. You haven't been reading the Bible, so you don't come with an appetite. So you need to start reading the word every day. And I would even say this specifically, if you know what passage is coming up that the pastor is going to preach on that Sunday, which I haven't given you a lot of help these last few months. I've just kind of been doing, 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 right? Two weeks, Lord willing, we're going to be back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Okay? And we're going to finish out chapter 6. I was brought under deep conviction, okay, when I was in India. Man, I've got to finish 1 Timothy, man. I've gotten off track here. But, but read the passages coming up, and when you go to a church that preaches expositionally, you know it's going to be the next couple of verses or so that the pastor is going to be preaching. I'm going to read those in preparation before coming to church that morning. So I'm already thinking about that passage and mulling it over in my mind. So you need to read the Bible every day. Number two, confess and forsake your sin. Confess 
and forsake your sin. We learned about this just a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh, applying the word to our lives. James 1.21 Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. In other words, a prerequisite for receiving the word is to put off sin. To clean out the earwax, if you will. 1 Peter 2, 1. 1 Peter 2, uh, 1 says the same thing. Therefore put aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that by you may grow in respect to salvation. And so, again, the prerequisite, if you don't have a longing for the pure milk of the word, it's probably because you've got sin in your life. So he says, hey, put aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and say, that's sin. Get, get, confess your sin, forsake it, and then you're going to long for the pure milk of the word. And so that's very important that as you're living throughout the week, as you're getting ready for church on Sunday morning, you need to clear, get, get the Q-tip out, the Q-tip of confession and repentance, clean out the earwax. So that when you come, you can hear clearly what God wants you to hear. Number three, pray for yourself and your preacher. It's another way to prepare your heart for the Word of God. Pray for yourself and your preacher. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Talks about a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening... And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I think that's a great prayer. Lord, I pray that you would open up my heart to respond to the things that I hear today. That's how you should pray for yourself. Pray for a significant encounter with God and his word. Ask him to speak to you specifically and and in a special, powerful, practical way so that you will grow and you will change and become who he wants you to be. You need to pray that prayer for yourself before you come to church. You also need to pray for me or whoever your preacher might be who's ever communicating God's word. We see that over and over over again. Paul uh, begged, literally begged people to pray for him. Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 19, he says, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he said, he said pray, pray that I'd be bold. In Colossians uh, 4, verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I am also been in prison or that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So, so far, you know, two things you're supposed to pray for me about. Pray that I'll be bold and pray that I'll be clear. That I'll preach boldly and I'll ple- preach clearly. And then I love this one, Second Thessalonians 3.1. This is my favorite one. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. And he's referring to the Thessalonians that when he showed up in town and started opening up the word of God and started preaching the word of God, they were like, 
They just received it. They got saved. They, be, they went from being pagan idol worshipers to radical Christians whose testimony resounded all around that, their, their city and all around that, that countryside. Everyone knew of the way their lives had been transformed and changed. Everybody knew about the Thessalonians and the radical transformation that took place. And so he says, finally, brethren, pray that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did. Pray that the same response that, that you had to the word would be what I meet with wherever I go. Literally, he says, pray that the word of the Lord would run. I think that's awesome. That the word would just run out of the, this pulpit and into your lives and out into this community. That it would just run rapidly and it would just have a dynamic impact in all of our lives and the, the life of this community. Spurgeon was asked one time, hey, what, why are you so powerful in the pulpit? I mean, what do you attribute to success of your pulpit ministry? And he says, very simple, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. And every time he preached, there was a bunch of people down in the boiler room, down in the basement of his church in London, England, praying for him while he preached. He understood the dynamic. And I covet your prayers, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week as I get alone with God and study his word, pray that I'll be undistracted, that I'll be able to stay focused and that God would teach me what he wants me to know and how it applies to my life. So I can get up here on Sunday and say, hey, this is what I learned. This is what this means. And this is how it applies to my life. This is how it applies to your life. Let's go out and live it. So read your Bible every day, confess and forsake sin, pray for yourself and the preacher and then fourthly, plan ahead and schedule around church. This is practical stuff, isn't it? Plan ahead and schedule around church. I say that because the majority of people in our world, as you know, church is not a priority. Weekends are theirs. It's their time to relax. It's their time to stay up late, sleep in. But as Christians, we should have a different perspective on the weekend. That Sunday morning should be the most important time of our week. Everything should flow into Sunday morning and out of Sunday morning. I mean, that's the perspective I think we should have as Christians. And so we need to treat it as such. And that, what I mean by that is that we need to get ready for church more deliberately and more intentionally than we do for work or school in the morning. I mean, we do a real good job. We got school or we got work and we set out our clothes. We do all our stuff, get ready. So boom, there, the bus is there. We're on time and we're gone. Get in our car, boom, we're there on time for work, right? We kind of have a little routine that we get into. And I'm saying, how much more of a routine should we have Saturday night and Sunday morning to get ready for church? And sometimes we don't plan well, and so Sunday morning becomes chaos, and we come to church unprepared. I want to encourage you to schedule activities, weekend getaways, vacations around Sunday. There's a reason why I left when I left and when I got back when I got left. And people were saying, well, why, how come you didn't stay longer? And people were like, well, man, you're here for a short time. I say, you know what? I hate to be out of the pulpit on Sunday morning. So I figured it out where I could leave this week, miss one Sunday, and extend my time because I don't have to be back until Saturday. Then I can preach on Sunday. So I scheduled a trip to India around Sundays because this is how important this dynamic is for my own life and your life the life of our church. You know, the principle is this. Saturday, Sunday morning starts Saturday night. 
right? That's the philosophy we should have. So I want to encourage you. This is going to be, this is going to be rock your world, I know. Have you ever thought about staying home on Saturday night? Wow, what a revolutionary idea in our let's go party on Saturday night culture, right? Stay up late, go to the movies, do this, go out, dance, whatever. But I want to encourage you to, 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 to stay home or at least get home early on Saturday night and, and go to bed early or go to bed on time and, and, and be careful what you watch on TV or what movie you watch or rent or what book you read because you know how that works. The next day you usually are thinking about what you just watched or read the night before, right? So be careful. You don't want to be sitting here through the sermon thinking about the movie you watched last night. But that's how our mind works. And so you have to know that. I want to encourage you to also wake up with enough time to have breakfast. A breakfast, that, by the way, that holds you over till lunch. <laughs> okay? I mean, most of you eat a good breakfast, you're going to school, good breakfast, you're going to work, right? Well, it's, why do we just wake up and go? I've run out the door to church, and so we're sitting there the whole morning. And so you're, 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 you're grumbling, your stomach's grumbling and you're, you're nodding off because you're, you stayed up so late last night watching Saturday Night Live or whatever you're watching. And guess what? You don't listen well when you're tired and hungry. And so that's a very practical way that you can um, prepare Sunday, Saturday morning for Saturday night for Sunday morning. And just encourage you to help one another. Guys, don't sit in the car, in the, in the garage, and your wife's sitting there running around trying to find everything and get every, all the kids together. You know, and you're late and you take it out on her. Well, knucklehead, get in the house and help her. Come out together, work together, be a team. And, and seek to maintain a godly atmosphere on the way to church. I mean, you, you're, you're all familiar with the parking lot miracle, right? I mean, there's just absolute chaos in the car on the way to church and everybody's fighting and yelling and the husband's mad at the wife and then the kids are in the back cutting dog. And, and all of a sudden they pull in the driveway and this amazing miracle happens. <laughs> and you open the door and there's, you know, Deacon Bob and you're like, hey, how's it going? Hey, brother, how's it going? <laughs> Praise the Lord, hallelujah. You know, and you were just cussing out your wife, you know. I mean, that's the parking lot miracle. And it's all because, guess what? We didn't do a good job preparing ahead of time. And so get in the car, you know, turn on some praise music and, and uh, pray. Pray on the way to church. That's a great way to kind of maintain a godly atmosphere. And try to be early instead of a few minutes late, because that kind of just stresses everybody out when you walk in late. You're, you're flustered, right? You're not ready to listen. So come early. Be here. Be on time. And then finally, number five, come with an attitude of expectation. Come with an attitude of expectation. Psalm 119.18 talks about beholding wonderful things from thy law. Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. So, so come with this attitude of anticipation and excitement and what, what, is, God, what is God going to say to me? Can't wait to see what's gonna, what I'm going to learn and how it's going to impact my life and how he's going to convict me and how he's going to comfort me and how he's going to change me. That's the kind of attitude you should come with. Okay, that was the first point and I got two more so we got to go fast. Okay, number two, participation. 
Participation. Okay, we've got preparation. Second requirement to be a good listener is to participation. And this is the responsibility while the word is preached. That was before the word is preached. This is while the word is preached. This is what we're doing right now. So now you better sit up and listen up because now we're talking about right now. Okay? I think the, the most critical moment for the listener are those in and around and leading up to the sermon itself. Okay? That's right now. When you walk into the church, we need to maximize these moments. How do you do that? Number one, worship well. Worship well. The songs and the prayers all serve as a prelude to preaching. And the services, if we do a good job, it's designed to, 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 to lead up to the word. It's, a, it's setting the table for, for the main course. It's the, the climax of the service should be the sermon. Someone has said the preaching and hearing of the word is the highest act of worship. It's not like we worship and then I say, okay, now I'm going to preach. No, preaching is worshiping. It's, a, it's an extension of our worship and it's the highest form of worship. When we listen to God speak to us and we commit to do what he says to do. So worship well. Make sure you utilize that time to prepare your heart because you know the sermon's about to come. And all those things are designed to get you ready. Number two, follow along in your own Bible. Follow along in your own Bible. By the way, that uh, implies that you have your Bible, <laughs> that you bring your Bible. Um, you know, I see people coming into church every once in a while visiting and they don't have a Bible. I think they're not going to last very long. This will probably be the last week they come. Simply because that communicates to me, not always, but sometimes, uh, that's not what they're looking for. They're not coming to church to hear the word because if they did, they would have tucked under their arm Right, Because they want to have somebody explain to them what this book means and how it applies to their life. If they just walk in without a Bible, I'm thinking, well, Lord willing, you can help them see the practicality of preaching the Word of God. And they're going to get excited, they'll get hooked, and they'll get a Bible, and they'll start coming. But I tell you what, you, you can tell a lot about a church by simply just watching the people come from their cars into the church. See how many of them have their Bibles. Okay, that communicates volumes about what that church's commitment is to the scriptures and what that pastor has trained his people about why they come. It's not just to hear him pontificate about the latest current event or, or my little story about this and this and my little video and my little skit and whatever. No, we're here to study and learn the word of God. And so they come with their Bibles. So read the passage along with the preacher. Turn to the cross-references. I mean, there's a reason why I, I haven't utilized PowerPoint more. Because I don't want to train you guys to just sit there and, well, I don't need to bring my Bible because it's going to be up on the screen. Or I don't need to turn there because it's up on the screen. I want you to get familiar with your Bible. So you're turning here and there and back and forth, and you're getting familiar with your own Bible. So you can take it home. You're underlining stuff. You're starring stuff. So you can go home and find it. Instead of going, I wish I had that PowerPoint show again. Right? I mean, nothing wrong with PowerPoint. Don't, don't get me wrong. But the point is, I, nothing encourages me more than to hear this. I mean, that's a glorious sound to the preacher. Because what's that telling me? These people are tracking and they want to know what the Bible says. Take notes. And that's just a simple way to, to greatly increase the impact of a sermon on the listener because it helps you stay focused and you're more likely to remember the key points if you have something to refer back to. Later, as you seek to apply it and put it into practice in your life. And let me just tell you this. Don't try to be, you know, 
the church pet and the pastor's pet and brownie points and, you know, transcribe the whole sermon. Look at pastor, I got every word you said. You know, that's not going to help. You just need to focus on getting the key main points of the message, the principles, the applications that you want to remember. Okay? That's why we don't give you three sheets to write notes. We just kind of give you a simple place. Just get the big point. Get the main idea and the main application things that you know you need to work on in your life. Number four, think critically. Think critically. You say, sweet, I already do that. I'm good at that, man. I love criticizing the... The preacher, man, that's what we have for lunch every Sunday. Rose preacher, you know, and we like criticizing. Now, what I'm talking about here is Acts 17, 11, the Bereans, right? The Bereans, what did they do? They, they heard what Paul said, and it says that they eagerly compared it with the scriptures, right? We want to make sure this guy's not just telling us something. We're going to make sure that everything he says matches up with the scriptures. And so you need to think about what you're hearing. Don't just accept it because I said it. Make sure that what I'm saying is what God is saying, and so compare everything with your scripture, with your copy of the Word of God. And it's, again, it's not about critiquing the pastor. It's not about, or the sermon is not about, well, that was a very good outline and a very good thesis statement, and, you know, uh, great introduction, great conclusion, great illustrations. I've given them an A minus. You know, it's, it's the content, it's the truth of the Word of God that you should be critiquing and thinking about, not the style. And number five, Fight off distractions. Fight off distractions. Do you realize that there is a spiritual battle going on right now for your soul? Because the last thing Satan wants to happen is for you to get the word of God in your mind, in your heart. And so he is going to do everything in his power to distract you and to snatch away the word from our hearts, like it says in the parable of the souls, right? And so you got to go to war. When you come in here, it is a war to stay focused. And I would just say this, two things. Number one, don't be a distraction, okay? Talking, fidgeting. I mean, the, the joke with, with my mom, I give her a hard time. I say, Mom, I still got scars in the, my leg from your fingernails. She has these long fingernails, and, and I'd be squirming around as a little kid in church, and I'd get one of the, the cat claws. <laughs> And, and she would, and, or she would come down, she, and, and I can still feel her hot breath in my ear saying, there are people sitting behind you that could go to either heaven or hell. <laughs> and you are distracting them. And I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know? I mean, she, she helped me understand I need to sit still and not be a distraction because everybody behind me, I'm fidgeting around doing my thing, and I'm distracting them from hearing the word of God. So I learned at a young age, don't be a distraction. Don't have your cell phone on. Don't get up and down. Go to the bathroom. Whatever. Well, obviously, if you have to go to the bathroom, number one, go ahead of time. That's usually the best piece of advice. If you do have an emergency, you know what? Don't get up from the front row. Walk all the way back. Everybody's like, five minutes later, we're going to see him again. He comes all the way back in here. So you're not only distracted once, you're distracted twice. So go and just sit in the back. Come back in, sit in the back seat or something. So you're not a distraction twice. I understand emergencies have now you're all of you sitting there going, I got to go so bad. I got to hold it though because Ken's going to point me out and make me feel bad. But it's just practical stuff. You know, don't, don't be a distraction. And number two, don't get distracted. You know, and this really might come down to two, th- just, just two things. Where you sit and who you sit with. Okay, where you sit and who you sit with could make a huge difference on whether or not you get distracted. It's a very important decision you make every Sunday where you're going to sit. Obviously, the closer to the front you sit, the easier it will be to stay focused. You'll have less heads to look around and 
clothes to examine and everything else you're looking around that distracts you. Oh, she got a new hairdo, a new dress, new outfit. You know, all the things you see. That kid's out of control. Look at his parent just elbowed him in the thing. You know, less distractions. Um, you know, take advantage, parents, take advantage of the fact that we have children's programs, nursery and, and, and children's programs designed to teach the word of God on the level of where your kid's at. Okay. Um, and the, and the, the other reason why we do that is because we know that having children sitting with you oftentimes can be distracting. And so you're getting absolutely nothing out of the sermon except getting madder and more frustrated because you're trying to keep your kids under control. Um, nothing wrong with having your kids in here. Okay. Um, but if it, if it is a distraction for you, then we encourage you to use that um, so that you can stay focused and learn the word yourself. And I think that one of the best ways to stay focused is be interactive. Okay, don't just sit there like a bump on the log or a pew potato. You know, I mean, I, I think it's important. I try to do this because I'm a preacher, and so I know what it's like to look out and I see people. Or... One of those deals. So when I'm out there, I work hard. When I'm listening to somebody, I, make eye, I try to make eye contact with that guy. And when, his, and when he comes over here and he's looking at me, sometimes I'll smile. No, I don't do that. I won't do that. But, you know, you smile, right? And, or you nod your head like, yeah, buddy, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, the Indians are awesome. They got this little head bob. You ever been to India? They kind of go. It's cool. So... I'm sitting here teaching and all these people, I see all these Indian heads going. I'm, and then I'm like, man, that's like saying sick them to a mad dog. You know, I'm like, because I'm like, they're getting it. They're understanding what I'm saying. But they were attentive and they were interactive. And so that's helpful to stay focused. Um, interact with the preacher, uh, an appropriate amen every once in a while or finishing a rhetorical question or a verse. Um, kind of that they're trying to lead you into. Okay, that was participation. Let's look at the last one really quick, okay? Hang in there. If we were in India, we'd be going for another hour. Just, just want you to know that, okay? Seriously, I'm not just saying that. Uh, and there'd be no air conditioning. There's, there'd be bugs die bombing you right now, okay? But you'd be hanging in there. Okay, for, uh, third principle, third and final. What are these things again? Losing responsibilities, yeah. Of a listener. Now, this is, we've seen what the responsibility is before you hear the word preached, while you hear the word preached, and now this is after the word's been preached. Okay? Number one, review your notes. And if you're going to review your notes, that means you have taken notes, right? So review your notes, re-examine the passage, meditate on what you heard and what you learned. And, and you need to understand, I mean, the frustration that I feel every week that I'm just giving you the tip of the iceberg. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping over stuff, by the way, because I know I don't, I'm out of time here. So I'm just leaping over quotes. I'm leaping over verses, cross-references. There is so much more to be said about this topic. And so, so you need to understand that I'm just kind of hopefully whetting your appetite about a particular passage or a topic. And so you can dig deeper and, and, and study on your own what we're just kind of a rock skipping across the surface here. So review your notes and meditate on the things that you heard and learned. Number two, discuss your sermon with others. Okay, discuss your sermon with others. Hebrews 10, 24 talks about stimulating one another to love and good deeds, right? And so get together for lunch after church or during the week um, and, and make sure you take some time to talk about what you learned, what you were convicted by, what you were encouraged by, how you're going to try to apply what you heard that week. I mean, if you're part of a family, dads, lead a family huddle. Say, okay, bring it in. Bring it in, family, you know, at lunchtime or whatever, and say, hey, what did you get out of, what was Sunday school about? What did you learn in children's church today? 
Really, that's awesome. How about you? Well, you know what I learned? This is what I was convicted about, and this is what I'm going to try to work on this week. Okay, now let's just pray about this. And you spend some time praying about the things that you learn from God's word. Thank God for his word. Ask him to help you live it out in your life. And again, remember 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you've learned from me, teach to others, right? And trust others. When you teach stuff to someone else, it reinforces it on your mind, in your own mind. So you should have a goal that when you learn something on Sunday morning, you want to find somebody that week that you're going to teach it to. Because that's going to reinforce it in your own heart and your mind. So review your notes, discuss your sermon with others, and thirdly, and finally, do something about the sermon. Okay? Do something about the sermon. There's some head nodding going over. I like that. Good job. James 1.22, do not be merely what? Hearers of the word, but doers. Right? So the sermon didn't accomplish its goal if it was not acted on, not applied. I mean, you should ask yourself, okay, what do I need to change? Does my thinking need to change? Does my attitude need to change? Does my behavior need to change? And, and the bottom line is I can make general application to you as a body, say this is how you can apply this, but ultimately it's your responsibility to make specific application of that sermon to your life because you know where you're at. You know the issues in your life. And so it's your responsibility. God's going to hold you accountable for putting into practice the things that you learn. And when you don't apply what you hear, your heart is getting hardened to the word and you're training yourself to be disobedient. That's scary. So you need to be in the habit of living out what you learn. So there are three ways to, to prepare your heart, to harrow your heart, so the word has maximum impact in your life. That's how to get the most out of a sermon. That's preaching for dummies, right? Um, and, and I would just say this, my commitment to you, to the Lord, first and foremost, because preaching is ultimately to God. I was, I was challenged by that this week. I ultimately preach for God. I hope you like it. I hope you're challenged by it, but I'm ultimately preaching for him. But my commitment to the Lord and to you is to prepare well, to stand and deliver his word every week. And I would challenge you to make it your commitment to the Lord and to me or whoever your preacher is, that you would prepare well to come and sit and receive the word of God. And when we're both faithful to our responsibility in the process of expository preaching, God will use his word to work powerfully in our lives and to change us and to help us be the people he wants to be. Amen? Amen. I mean, let's pray. Father, thank you for just a just great reminder for all of us of the important points of listening. And Lord, help us. Lord, we're, we're by nature terrible listeners. And so help us to apply these principles to our lives, Lord, so that we could have our ears opened to the word of God, so that it would change us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. I pray that uh, when people hear about Lakeside Bible Church or just that our reputation would be that we have a, a passion and appreciation for the word and that we're good listeners and that we hear the word not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.